empty and armed with strength. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. Your throne was established long ago. You are from all eternity. The seas have lifted up, O Lord. The seas have lifted up their voice. The seas have lifted up their pounding waves. Mightier than the thunder of the great waters. Mightier than the breakers of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. Your statutes are, stand firm. Holiness adorns your house for endless days, O Lord. Then we're going to the Gospel of Luke. Luke, who is both the author of the Gospel of Luke and of Acts, um, this event is sort of the hinge between those two books. It's really, really one story. Um, but he tells the story of the Ascension twice. And so this is the version that he gives in his gospel. When he had led them out uh, to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. So again, let's recall what today is. Today is the Sunday we celebrate the culminating event in Jesus' mission, his ascension to the throne of heaven. It is also Memorial Day weekend when we honor those who died in the service of our nation and the first opportunity to gather and worship following the horrific school shooting in Texas. So Psalm 93, while well, not well known, does speak to the themes of this day in the liturgical calendar. This is the theme of ascension, the God who takes the throne. But as I hope we will eventually see, it also speaks to some of the other aspects of today, the two other significant things about this, the last Sunday in May. But first, a word about its relationship to the Sunday following Jesus' ascension. To say that it fits the theme is not to say that it has Jesus' ascension in mind, right? It is not prophesying about events described in the gospel reading. You know, looking at the grammar of the psalm, it's talking about God's ascension as a past event. And it's not unique to this psalm to talk about ascension in that way. There are places in the Old Testament which talk about God's victory uh, over Egypt as a demonstration of God's ascension to the throne. There are other passages where that refer to the return from Babylon uh, as a moment for divine ascension. So then you add to this Jesus' ascension, and you could get the impression that there's some instability, right? As though there are uh, interruptions within the divine dynasty. But this psalm asserts that the reign begins with creation in the beginning. You know, God witnessed the Big Bang from the throne room, dressed in royal garb. In an ever-expanding, constantly changing universe, the constant is this, that God holds it all together. It's all under divine authority. 
All that may seem rather obvious. The idea that God reigns over the earth is Theology 101. One of the first songs many of us learned about God asserted that the hands of God held the whole world. But it's worth noting, first of all, that we get that assumption from a particular tradition. It's not the Assyrians that give us that. It's not the Babylonians or the Greeks or the Romans. They don't share that view. Um, Their gods battle it out for uh, the throne. It is the, the Hebrews. The Hebrews who proclaim their God as the eternal, the eternally undisputed ruler of all worlds. So it's from them we get that assumption. And yet, and yet even they talk about ascension. And ascension implies transition. No one ascends to a throne one already possesses. Now, you may think, well, they're speaking metaphorically. Uh, They're talking about how it felt. How it felt when God delivered them from slavery. How it felt when God brought them home from exile. It felt like God had taken the throne again. In reality, God was simply asserting an authority God already possessed. So I know it sounds a bit like I'm quibbling. Like I'm making a big deal over something that isn't. And I have been known to do that. Uh, but, But it is Ascension Sunday. And it is the first Sunday following another mass murder of grade school children, and it is Memorial Day. And it requires us to think about what does it mean that God ascends to the throne. If you recall seeing the movie A Few Good Men, you probably recall its most famous line. Jack Nicholson plays Colonel Jessup. Tom Cruise plays Lieutenant Caffey, and he's this military lawyer. And there are two Marines that are on trial for having killed a fellow Marine in Santiago. And Caffey suspects that those Marines killed Santiago because of an order that Colonel Jessup gave them. And he's sort of wanting Jessup to answer for that. The judge says, look, Jessup's not on trial. He doesn't have to answer that question. I got to do a Jack Nicholson impersonation, so I have to drink some water. So the judge says, you don't have to answer the question. Colonel Jessup says, I'll answer the question. You want answers? I think I'm entitled to them, says Kathy. You want answers? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Son, we live in a world that has walls, and those walls have to be guarded by men with guns. Who's going to do it? You? I have a greater responsibility than you can possibly fathom. You weep for Santiago, and you curse the Marines. You have that luxury. You have the luxury of not knowing what I know. That Santiago's death while tragic, probably saved lives. And my existence, while grotesque and incomprehensible to you, saves lives. I think there is a tendency to try to sugarcoat or romanticize Memorial Day. 
Maybe that's because we can't handle the truth and we have that luxury. That when the forces of evil and chaos rear their head, horrible decisions have to be made. Terrible actions must be taken and people die in the process. You know, we look at the world and there is so much wrong, so much injustice. But on Memorial Day, we remember those whose sacrifice kept it from being far worse. You know, you go to Arlington Cemetery and you see those endless rows of gravestones and say, this, this is what it takes to keep the world from coming unglued. Is there anyone on the throne? And of course, this, today is the first day since the school shooting. Yet another, another mass shooting. Personally, the crazy thing was, uh, I learned of this shooting while I was listening to an audiobook, and I was in the middle of a chapter entitled Sandy Hook. It was about the deaths of those first graders. How that mobilized these grassroots movements and generated the, the, the Mansion Toomey Bill, which was going to do try to do something, had bipartisan support. And then Wayne LaPierre made the famous good guy with the gun speech, which promoted the idea of arming teachers. You know, I, I started that book after having completed listening to that one about reconstruction. And what you get from that book is that while the Confederacy surrendered, it did not give up. They sabotaged government agencies, they terrorized African Americans, and when Union troops attempted to restore order, they cried out about living under tyranny. And of course, when those same troops were ordered to break up labor strikes, well, that was fine. No one complained about tyranny then. You know, eventually many within the Republican Party, the, 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 you know, who, that, whose policy was Reconstruction, they were the champions of Reconstruction. You know, it, it's amazing, within a decade, they were like, yeah, it was that, they give up. Yeah, it was a big mistake. And of course, then you have Jim Crow. Colonel Jessup says we live in a world with walls, and those walls have to be guarded by men with guns. That without those walls, those guards, those guns, all hell would break loose. We depend on people like him, people willing to do the grotesque and incomprehensible. That's the truth we can't handle, according to him. And not just him. I mean, you think about the Obama administration and all those drone strikes. You know, no trial, but it was necessary. And honestly, I don't know if the problem is that I can't handle the truth. It may, it may be. I would say this, though, that those who think they can handle the truth may also be part of the problem. I may need Colonel Jessup 
but I sure don't trust them. Good guys with guns may be able to stop bad guys with guns, but there are plenty of times where that line between good and bad gets muddy. And it's just guys with guns gunning down guys with guns and anyone else who happens to get into their way. Now, you may be thinking, man, Mark is a downer. And I, I am. <laughs> I get it, and there is part of me that keeps waiting for the lectionary to assign that one verse that goes, you know, a stitch in time saves nine. I'd love to preach that one. Or every dog has its day. That'd be a nice one. But instead, we have to deal with this. Now, the truth is, this psalm is not a downer. I mean, it's a message, uh, it's one of joy. It is written to rouse us to praise. And it's not, a, it's not sentimental. It's not naive. It can handle the truth. It speaks about that truth in verse 3. The floods have lifted up, or the seas. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. The, the Old Testament celebrates God as creator for a variety of reasons. God as the creator of beauty. God as the creator of abundance. But a theme that comes up most frequently is that God restrains the waters, the floods. Because in the scriptures, the seas function similarly to, to wilderness. Uh, they can be locations of chaos, right? Uh, you know, it is being on the sea where you can realize just how vulnerable you are to the elements, just how out of control you are of your own life. It's a place, it can be a place of chaos. And God is praised as creator because, like Colonel Jessup, God mans the walls. God hems in the chaos. He gives it its limits. You know, and what happens when God doesn't do that? Well, that's the story of Noah's Ark, right? Chaos is everywhere. Uh, the story ends with God essentially saying, you know, look, I'm not going to abandon my post at the wall again. Chaos will not be given free reign again. There shall be summer, winter, seed time, harvest, as long as the earth endures. Now, this promise does not free the world from chaos. It merely constrains it, gives it its limits. But that distinction between chaos having free reign and chaos operating within limits, that distinction sometimes is hard to make. There are times when it appears chaos has free reign. Certainly that was the case during that hour that began when Salvador Ramos ran from his truck toward Rob Elementary. The floods have lifted up, O oh Lord. The floods lift up their roaring. You know, and when order is restored, when justice is done, when there is peace, it is as though God reasserted authority, as though the source of goodness and life has retaken the throne, raised a wall to hold back the flood. Again, that's how the biblical writers describe liberation from slavery, restoration to the land after exile. 
And it is what is described in our gospel reading. Jesus, after crucifixion, death, he ascends. He ascends to reign, victor, over chaos and death. Now, what's different in that case, in the case with Jesus, is is that it's not a passage about what it feels like is happening. You know, uh, what's interesting is, I mean, these, the Psalms are Psalms of celebration uh, about liberation from Egypt. They're Psalms of celebration about return from Babylonian exile. But the story, it's a little more in Luke, but in Acts, it's, it's not this sort of all-out celebration. It, there's some confusion. Jesus has to answer some questions. And they were no doubt unsure what exactly was happening. And it might have even felt a bit like being abandoned. And this is part of what, I mean, this speaks to what makes Jesus' ascension different. It's not a metaphorical ascension. It's not a, it's not a poetic expression of what's happening. The writer isn't resorting to that sort of language to express how it felt. It's just what's actually happening. He ascends to the throne of heaven because he's gone to battle. He's gone into battle with chaos, violence, and death, and he was victorious. He's not abandoning earth. He's taking his rightful place as ruler over it. You know, if you watch that first season of The Crown or seen footage of the actual coronation, you know that those are the, that's the moment that the, the, the monarchy really pulls out all the stops. I and mean, that's historically been the case. For, for example, in 1650, the procession for Queen Christina of Sweden was a parade of pomp and circumstance that was over six and a half miles long. Next time we put our float in it. Uh, uh, when, when Charles IV, you know, when... He wanted a divorce from the queen. She wouldn't give it to him, so he wouldn't let her in to his coronation. But, you know, you don't just put some mall cop security at the door, not for a coronation. Uh, In that case, uh, Charles IV uh, had the the champion boxer at the door to keep her out. I mean, those are the kinds of things you do. You don't just, you know, you go all out. there's a banquet that they for 2,000 people. Anyway, so coronations are planned years in advance. All the extravagance, all the splendor, all the majesty try, is, is, has the purpose of communicating that this is a big deal. No one witnesses that event and goes, uh, what's this all about? I don't quite get it. No, you get it. Luke's lack doesn't, doesn't give us all this splendor and, and extravagance. Now granted, Jesus ascending to heaven, that's pretty majestic. But it's also kind of confusing to the disciples. They're not sure what it means, what to expect. They don't know what comes next. You know, who knows how long, you know, this is the Acts version, they're sort of standing there. Who knows how long they're standing there like some kid who just let go of his balloon trying to track it, you know, before the angels come in and say, hey, God, you, there's stuff, you gotta get moving. Go to Jerusalem. I find, I find that there's something comforting 
in that. This coronation without all the bells and whistles, this ascension that looks a bit just like departure. Like he's, I mean, it's less like he's gone to reign and more like he's just gone. Now, he promises to return one day and make all things right, all things new. Uh, I don't know if you recall the passage we read in Revelation, it said the sea will be no more. It's not that the Bible has something against the sea, but it's just the forces of chaos. I mean, that's what's referencing there. That that's the promise, that that will be, that is the future. And given the promises that have already been kept, demonstrated in his uh, victory over death, we should not take that promise lightly. But this ascension helps us to manage our expectations in the meantime. We should expect some confusion. We should anticipate some mystery about this whole business. We should expect to have to confront some chaos, maybe even lots of chaos. The floods, the floods will roar. It may even feel like abandonment. It may feel like there's nothing we can do, that we must just accept it. That we ought to take, maybe we ought to take matters into our own hands, arm ourselves, get what's ours before someone else does, or Maybe tempted to just go into denial, admit we can't handle the truth. But if it's not abandonment, if it's an ascension, if what happens here is just the next step in this mission, then something else is demanded of us. Hope. A hope that calls us to action, that demands an allegiance to the one who affixes boundaries to the powers of chaos and death through love and compassion. We don't know what challenges may come, how big or how small, whether they be personal or political, whatever. We simply commit to meeting them with that same love and compassion. Because in the end, it's not about whether you can handle the truth. It's whether the truth has a hold on you. A truth that holds you and the whole world in its hands. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.